this is the Thin Space Podcast. My name is Evan Chastine, and I host this podcast alongside Jody and Larry Green, the founders of Cloudwalk Ministries. This is part two of our conversation with Richard Roberts. We'll be jumping into today's conversation with a question from Jody on Celtic spirituality. If you missed our last episode, we recommend going back and listening to part one before jumping in here. As always, we hope that this podcast would be for you a time with God. As we transition to a little bit about the the Celtic movement, which you write about in the book, I'd written this note, not a quest to find God, but a journey to carry God to new places. And that, that really spoke to my heart. I think that's something he's been teaching us and showing us. Um, we used to have a, a space in one part of, of the little town we live in. And a few years ago, we, we picked up and moved to a new space. And part of the fear of everyone, God's presence was so heavy in that place. There was this concern that are we going to leave and his presence is going to, we're not going to have his presence anymore. Is his presence confined to this house? And it was such a journey for us to understand, no, his presence is dwells with us. So where we go, (laughs) he comes with us. And just, I had never read a lot about the Celtic tradition and I've I've been led to in the last few years. I'm a lover of nature. and, And so I love their the way they speak about God and all things, but, but could you, could you say a little bit more about that? How we, how they come from being one who looks for God to someone who carries God to new places. Yeah. I think in all these things we're we're a bit limited by language, aren't we? So the, 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 the Celtic idea of pilgrimage is, is um, what you're alluding to. And um, because of so much of their vision of, uh, life was that it, it's a, a journey on which we need God's protection, which is why a lot of their prayers were prayers for protection. But it's a journey with God. So um, it alludes very strongly to that. I mean, there's that flavor in Hebrews, isn't it? That, you know, we're, we're, we are in some way we are strangers and exiles in this world when we uh, our, our life is, is a journey with god so the idea of celtic pilgrimage wasn't of going somewhere to find god it wasn't what it later became was traveling to a holy site to in some way connect with the presence of god but they used the, the latin word uh, peregrinatio that's probably pronounced very badly because I only did a year of Latin and it gave me up. So the, their idea was, was of being on a journey, which was a journey of, of exile. So if you're exiled, you don't belong to the place, do you, in the same way and if, if you're a resident. So just a little bit of historical background in the days of the of the Celts, because most people would would have a small, maybe a small farm, and so they'd have their their dwelling, and then they would have some fields in which they'd grow crops or raise livestock, and then there'd be perhaps forest around the farm, 
and the forest was uh, you know characteristically inhabited by wolves and it was a dangerous place so you would never let the wolf onto your farm and the word that they had for for exile was related to their word for wolf in other words it was being excluded from the safe place so their idea of pilgrimage was was being exiled so saint columba who famously left ireland and founded the community on uh, iona uh, in scotland he he never returned to to his home and legend has it that he went to the island of isla spelled i-s-l-a-y now famous for its uh, but 10 different malt whiskies. But from Isla, he could see Ireland on a clear day. So he couldn't bear seeing the place he'd been exiled from. So he moved on to Iona. So the idea was essentially that they were coming with the presence of God to that uh, new place, because we can't get inside their heads, so we don't quite know what they're thinking. But, but that, that was the idea, was that they were taking something. Uh, they weren't going to find something, but as, as exiles, in other words, for them, faith was about risky living. It wasn't about the safety and security of the farmstead. It was about joining the wolf in the forest. <laughs> and of course, in those days, all your safety did depend upon your being part of that commu- community. It was genuinely uh, unsafe. So, um, yeah, so they had this idea of, of pilgrimage. I, I would also balance it with the idea of wherever we go in life, God is already at work there. You know, it's not, it's not that we are solely carrying God's presence into our cities and streets and homes but god is is already at work there and our job is to discern what he's doing and join him in it so uh, so i'd probably balance the idea of of celtic pilgrimage with what's come to be known as the missio dei which is about f- finding where god is already at work in a place and maybe you've already answered this in the way you ended that, but so pilgrimage in in today's world, how would you see that in in the life of a Christian? Yeah, I, I think I'm involved. I'm a trustee at a retreat centre in the UK called Father Brennan, and it's become very well known as a thin place. I mean, it's it's in the middle of nowhere in rural Wales we can accommodate 22 people but our daily footfall is twice that and we've had some online prayer days recently where we've had between three and ten thousand people from around the world join us and i'm not saying that in any way to promote the retreat center please don't think i'm doing that but i'm just saying that it is a place where people have come on a sort of pilgrimage, these are mainly evangelicals or charismatics, but also people from other traditions, and they have experienced the thin place. They've experienced the presence of God in the chapel, and 
I've experienced the presence of God in the chapel to the point where I've had to get out because I had to do think other things the rest of the day and it was wiping me out, you know. So I do think that there are places where we go and we do find the presence of God. And, I, I you know, your retreat centre would be another one of those places. But I think it, that's different from the from the Celtic idea. You know, for one thing, there weren't those places early on. So there was a famous Celtic Christian called Columbanus, not to be confused with Columba. And, and, and he, so he left Ireland and he founded monastic communities in France down as far as Italy, which in, in those days, you know, those were quite risky journeys. You walk into the kingdom of, of, of other people bit like probably walking through the through the back streets of New York today I think but he um so so they had this risky risky pilgrimage um and uh, uh, the book that I uh, in the book I quote this song that I love it's worth uh looking up by a guy called Godfrey Bertel who probably won't know much in the states but Looking for your presence, it's time to seek your face. May the windows of heaven open up today. Let us flow with your rhythm, the spirit and the word, and pick up your burdens, walk the land and pray, carrying you, carrying you into the city streets and homes. Carrying you, carrying you, we hear the footsteps of the Lord. Can your heavy glory, can your heavy glory, can your heavy glory, can your heavy glory rest on me? Mm. To me, that's something of the adventurous Celtic idea. You know, some of them were completely bonkers. They set off in a coracle, which, you know, is a, is a rush-framed boat uh, or, or a willow-framed boat with, with animal skins, very difficult to navigate. They just set off. And, you know, where, where will the spirit take us? That's where we'll land. They also had this wonderful phrase that, that I love, which is finding their place of resurrection, the place where they believed. For, in one sense, they'd be most alive in God. But in another sense, that's the place where they put down their roots until they died and were resurrected in that place. Mm. So, uh, so I think there's some wonderful images in all of this, because it's those images that inspire us, you know, some some lecture on the Celtic church isn't going to inspire you. But looking at the lives of some of these people is inspiring. Thank you for those stories. If, um, if someone was being stirred to kind of learn a little bit more about some of these people, is there a place or a book that you'd recommend just as a starting point? Um, there's a You've got to remember, I'm a bit of a nerd, so um, <laughs> we love nerds. The, ner the nerdy books um, are written by um, a guy called Ian Bradley. His book "Colonies of Heaven" is a brilliant introduction to the Celtic Church, and his book "Following the Celtic Way" is very good. But there are books like um, there's a guy called David Cole who has written about the lives of the Celtic saints. He's, you know, it's a sort of two pages on each 
each saint. And so um, you can learn some of the stories. Of course, it's very difficult to separate history from um, saint worship, really, in, in the accounts of, of the saints. But um, yeah, and I, I think also I'd read about the, the Desert Fathers as well and the Desert Mothers because they were the people who um, probably Celtic monasticism was inspired um, fairly strongly by the Desert Fathers and Desert Mothers. And I think um, we say Henri Nuon, I think you say Henri Nouwen. The Way of the Heart is probably uh, a very good introduction to silence and um, solitude. I could go on and recommend more books, but I, I'll <laughs> stop there unless you want me to go on. That's no, great. that's, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Richard, there's this quote from your book, if you don't mind me reading it. I think it ties in what we're talking about with Celtic Christianity, the Desert Fathers and, and monasticism. But something else you write about, which is this uh, new wave, I don't, know, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, which this appearance of new monasticism in our yeah. cultures. Uh, so I'm going to start reading this, this quote, and then I'm hoping to kind of tie those two things together, this historical and, and then what's happening in our culture now. So you wrote, the desert or wilderness is challenging, even frightening but experiencing it is often crucial to realizing our future. Without it, we can become suspended in a superficial existence. It is only when our usual external supports are stripped away when we find ourselves separated from the clutter and gaudiness which surrounds us day by day that we begin to realize what is genuinely important in life. Once the daily distractions and attractions cease, Alone in silence, we become acutely aware of God's presence. Yeah, thank you. Does that tie kind of what happened in the desert or the wilderness or this exile? I, I think those words that we've been using seem very similar when, when talking about what was happening back then. And then this last sentence. Once the daily distractions and attractions cease, alone in silence, we become acutely aware of God's presence. That seems to be this new monasticism that you write about. Yeah. I think one of the things that I found very attractive was I, I read, there's, there are collections of sayings from the Desert Fathers. And uh, the, I, I really like them because um, a lot of them are, uh, well, really almost quite humorous. So one example is that there were, I think, three men went to see this very famous desert monk and they, they asked him a question. And he said, I, I will answer your question. You must wait here. He went off and came back three months later. I think that one of the things that we have failed to do a lot in the sort of Christianity I've been involved in is, is leave people with God. Mm. So uh, we try to find, we, we, can, we try to reduce the spiritual life to sometimes a set of techniques. 
or to a, a program or a course. So I was talking to somebody the other day who runs a, a course for people to join a, a religious order. And she said that, or, or he said that when people have gone through this course, some of them say, well, what's next? And of course, what's next is living it out. And so I think that one of the things the Desert Fathers um, have to teach us and, and the Celtic tradition and other monastic traditions is that the, there has to be a place where you, where you are, you come before God and you can't say, well, I'm here because I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm here because I'm a good father or uh, I'm here because I'm a, you know, church leader or I'm, I'm here because I'm, I'm interested in the Celtic tradition. You have to just come before God. And that, that is very scary because our whole culture is based on the idea of let's fill up the space. I mean, I, I love music. You know, I'm, I'm into the blues. Um, if this was, a, if this was a, a, a pictorial podcast rather than just sounds, I, could, I can show you my, my Telecaster. You know, it's always beside my, where I sit and pray. I love music, I love noise, I like books. There's always stuff to fill up life, isn't there? But but ultimately, the transformation occurs in the presence uh, of the Lord, doesn't it? For those of you who are into the blues, there's that wonderful, you know, Eric Clapton in 1993, probably stoned at the time with Steve, Steve Winwood, but it looks genuine, genuine singing the song i've finally found a way to live in the presence of the lord and i think i think that's what uh, that's what we're missing in today's culture and so you know people fled into the desert uh, some of them because they just felt that their whole culture was so uh, they they just felt that they would be totally dragged down by the culture in which they live they had to find another way. Uh, otherwise, it would just compromise what they what they really believed. So it was quite quite a radical thing that they were doing. Um, but of course, it was hugely attractive to people. So people would go out and find them because because they knew that they had a sort of integrity and they didn't have a vested interest. They weren't going to try and use them or you know, get them to fund their their desert monastery or something. They 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 realised that these people had been in the presence of the Lord. I think that that's something that many of us are learning, particularly you know, because I've been burned out a few times in Christian work. I mean, quite badly, and you think, well, you, you eventually learn some things and you wish people had been able to tell you 30 years ago but of course that's what we rediscovered is is the wisdom of the desert and the wisdom of some of these um, Celtic saints and other monastic movements and that we're trying to reintegrate back into you know our, our lives as evangelicals or charismatics
and it's a, there's a lot of people interested in it. I mean, I can talk about the new monasticism idea if that's helpful at this point. Yeah, I think so. That would be great. What is it? Okay. When did it start coming about? Kind of, yeah, any any insight you have on it would be great. Right. So I think it's a movement which has been a grassroots movement. So it's not been sort of orchestrated. And it's not been people saying, well, I want to join in with this thing called new monasticism. It has been a, a rediscovery of things like the wisdom of the desert or the rule of Benedict. I mean, some of it's come through writers like Henri Nouon. So people have rediscovered some of these uh, practices. They discover the idea of having more rhythm in their life and of adopting, consciously adopting certain things like having time off, like giving time to hospitality, like, you know, having retreat or retreat practices. And so some people have taken this to a good level. You know, one or two people have just integrated one or two practices from their from their reading or conferences they've been to or whatever so they might they, they might use for example imaginative biblical contemplation nation contemplation but but others have taken it more thoroughly and said well if you look at these monastic movements what they did is they had what they call a rule of life which didn't mean the word rule doesn't mean rules and regulations, but more pattern. So they had a pattern to their life. So how can we how can we learn from what they had in their pattern? So it may be that they had obedience as one of the facets of their rule. Well, we don't like that idea very much. It doesn't have great resonances, but maybe we can think about accountability. You know, how, how do I have a life where I'm listening to other people? Because that's what obey means. It means to listen. Do I just surround myself in an echo chamber of people who will, you know, feed back to me what I am telling them? So we, we might think of that or, you know, the Benedictine vow of stability, which meant sticking in one place. How do we stick with things when the going gets tough? So some people have then created rules which may be you know related to other ancient rules but not not so much for full-time people in monastic orders but some of them in communities but some in dispersed communities and they've given the title to it new monasticism it's taken from um, i don't know whether your uh, listeners will have heard of dietrich bonhoeffer who was a famous German theologian. And he said that the renewal of the church will come through a new form of monasticism, which takes seriously the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, the, the, the title New Monasticism has been given to this movement. Um, I, I'm not that keen on the title. I prefer monastic inspired spirituality but it's not as catching as new monasticism so that's never going to take off <laughs> um so 
what we have is we have several several movements that are embedded in what we would call new monasticism, such as the retreat center that I'm involved in. Um, new monasticism also exists in the US, but it tends to have a slightly different meaning where it's associated much more with issues of social justice and environmentalism. So it's the same idea of, of having a rule of life and maybe of living simply, but it's, it's slightly different. So, uh, but it's it's huge. I mean, I was talking the other day to somebody who does an app, uh, a daily prayer app called Lectio 365 from there. They, they, they have what they call the Order of the Mustard Seed, and they have 130,000 subscribers. So it, it, it's the, these practices are now, and it's probably mainly evangelicals, charismatic, these practices are being very, very widely embraced, but it's a, a very variegated and very, very uh, varied scene. But that's what my book was about, really. It's, it, the reason I wrote the book was because there are a lot of people who are followers of Father Brennan. Uh, we have a rhythm of prayer. We've just re, revamped it. And I think in two weeks, we sold four or five hundred Copy so you know they're 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 popular um, things, but people often don't know what it's about beyond the rhythm of prayer. That it's that it's about much more. It's about developing a rhythm of life and having certain uh, strong um, values that you you try to work out intentionally as your way of living out the gospel. So, so in a nutshell, that's uh, that's uh, new monasticism. A couple of things that I you mentioned in the book about new monasticism. First is this, I'm just going to read it right from the book. New monasticism has depended on ordinary people for its growth rather than on the anointed few. I found that very encouraging. Not just for what we've stepped into, but what the hope of what others can step into. Yeah, I think that the way I read the New Testament is that the place of Christian leadership is to prepare everybody in the church for the works of ministry. I mean, ministry meaning service. it's, It's not that there's this super anointed few. I mean, there are a few super anointed people, but their job isn't to impress us and for us all to go running to their websites and listen to all their talks and it's not you know i think the christian celebrity thing isn't isn't great because it stops us realizing that the important thing for you is what's happening where you live in your street you know, in your town, in, in your city. And do you know that God has actually put the future within you? It's not out there somewhere. It's within you. And the place of leadership is to help you to find that. And I don't mean that in the, the idea of, oh, you know, I'm trying to find my, you know, my, my real vision and purpose in life as a sort of 
self-centered individualistic thing because it will be with other people you know god works through the body of christ body meaning more than just me and um, i think leadership is there to help create a community of, of followers of jesus who um, know what god's put into them but also are willing to be humble enough to put that together with what God has put in other people. You know, so sometimes that means you, we bite our tongue or we have to learn to do this together. But that's, that, I believe, is, is the function of, of Christian leadership, is to help us to be able to do those things together, to, you know, help us to operate in our gifts, to make sure we're, you know, not going off the rails in terms of our ideas about God and the world and humanity. So there is a teaching function, but it's it, it it's more to do with with equipping than um, it's more to do with formation than it is to do with information. Put it that way. Information is important. Don't get me wrong, but it's more to do with formation. You kind of say that in a way, orthodoxy and orthopraxy are both important, but one without the other is defective. I, yeah. I hear that and and what you're saying. Yeah. To to that point, Evan, um, Richard, for those that may not have heard those words before, can you can you just share a little bit on that uh, with us and and kind of connect it with what Evan is connecting? <laughs> yeah. So orthodoxy just means that ideas about God are sort of straight. So, you know, I, I always think the Nicene Creed for me is the is the thing that is a good test of orthodoxy. You know, it, it's about the fact that God is Trinity, that, you know, that there's one church that 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 we're we're together in, in in one church, that Jesus is human and divine and all those things. So it's really an abstraction from scripture of you know some of the salient points of 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 what we what god has revealed through scripture through people and if somehow you know if you have a, a contemplative time with god and he reveals himself to you as a, as a he as a hindu deity and i've got relatives who are hindu so i'm not this isn't anything against hinduism but that's not likely to be christian orthodoxy mm. um, i also think it extends to some of the um moral issues uh but i i, I won't get into that today because that's a, a minefield and um, i don't have my mind detector with me um so orthopraxy so orthodoxy means right believing right thinking orthopraxy means right living so i can remember hearing somebody who taken a, a, um, a gang of christians across to do mission in the developing world and coming back somebody said to him look i've got the customs form here do you think i ought to declare what i'm bringing into the you know back into the uk now, orthopraxy means that you are honest. 
vote, not declaring something on a customs form is not uh, consistent with orthopraxy. Um, so um, I think what has happened is that, uh, I mean, it's interesting because I think like a lot of theological education, people go to seminaries to train to be, you know, Christian leaders, vicars, pastors, priests, and what, and they're taught a lot about their particular orthodoxy and what distinguishes them from other people. And that's what they've got to be strong on. Whereas I think it would be a lot better to have a very generic orthodoxy, you know, the Trinity, the cross, those sorts of things, you know, Jesus is human and divine. Let's have a generic orthodoxy that most of us can subscribe to. Uh, we won't get into whether we pray to the saints and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I, I've got into a lot of that with a lot of people and mm -hmm. uh, discussions on those sorts of things, which has been interesting. But we have this generic orthodoxy and then, you know, what, what comes out of that is orthopraxy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, God is Trinity, God is relational. So, so how we relate to people is important. That's ortho, orthopraxy, isn't it? So, you know, it all comes out of that foundation of, of who, who God is. You know, the fact that God is a God of justice. You know, God, God will judge the world and put all wrongs right in some way, which is beyond my figuring out. You know, God is a God, God of love as well. You know, so how do we express justice? How do we express love? How do we express the fact that God cares for people? Um, those those are issues of um, of orthopraxy, I think, as opposed to orthodoxy. But the two are related; they're not separate. I'm going to use this as a teaser, Richard, to get people to read the book, but but you're writing on justice and love. It was just a few chapters in the book, but it, for me, it's worth the price of admission because it, it just was so, again, beautifully explained. I mean, you just have a way of really taking some of the invisible things maybe, or the, <laughs> and making them visible. So um, we, thank, we thank God for doing that through you. So that's my teaser, like lots, lots of beautiful things in the book, but that was really another, I had several aha moments in this book. You know, you touched on the rule of life and there's so much there. And, and I think as a community, we've been talking about this for several years now, especially with the acquiring of the retreat center, the, the prayer place in North Georgia. How do we walk together? And so I shared with Richard before the podcast that this book came at such a perfect moment for us because we're stepping into this and it, it's it's as if you've given us a roadmap you know into into how to step into that but when we when we talked the first time um just you and i richard you shared some rules of life that your church has written and walks with or or i don't know if it was felda brennan's and they were just so beautiful in their simplicity and i think sometimes people like i've read benedict's rules of life and there's a lot i forget how many they are you may know but there's a lot you didn't have 
lots and lots of them. There were, if I remember correctly, like five that were really important or four that were really important. If I'm right, would you mind sharing those? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, Benedict has 73 chapters um, because he, they were trying to run communities. So they covered everything. Uh, my favorite chapter being on how much how much um, alcohol should a monk be allowed during the week. <laughs> <laughs> but they covered everything from times of prayer to, you know, everything, listening to the least person in the community. So we we have a small uh, church that meets in, in homes, the rural area where we live. And um, we don't use the word rule of life because people wouldn't understand that. So we talk about values. And these are all values that I've pinched from other, you know, I've stolen these values from other, other people. So nothing, as I said, nothing in the book is very original apart from the bit I mentioned uh, about ordinary and extraordinary presence. So our, our, our four things, and, and it's amazing how people can just remember them because they spell the word have, H-A-V-E. So the first one is, is hospitality. And that is how we relate to other people. And that's primarily about making space for others. So we don't fill the space. We, we, we make a space and let others fill the space. So hospitality there is not about cooking, which is what people think of when they think of hospitality. It's about being, it's about being available to people. The, the, the second value is um, availability and availability means being available to God so that includes things like prayer but it's it's wider than that it it means that we will let God interrupt our plans you know maybe hold our agenda lightly and just develop that availability to God. So, so hospitality and availability balance each other because if you're if you're too focused on hospitality, you be, you become unavailable to God. Too focused on availability, then you're too heavenly minded, no earthly use. So, the, those two balance each other. The third one is vulnerability, and. What we mean by vulnerability is being open to God and open to other people. So we're, we're open to God. As, as we read scripture, we will allow scripture to form us. So it's not a case of reading into scripture what we want it to say. It's a case of allowing God to speak to us through scripture to change us. And, and also it's about being vulnerable to other people that we will we will talk things over with other people not to bulldoze through our view that doesn't mean say you have to express things in a meek and mild way all the time but just that that you, you'll you'll let you'll you'll entertain the fact you might be wrong and let other people say if they see it differently and the third one uh, i had to find something beginning with e so i just used the word expression and that means about finding, and this will vary from person to person, find ways in which your faith will take 
concrete expression. So we uh, we don't have uh, our church has no overheads virtually. We don't have a paid pastor or anything like that because we, you know, we're small and we've got eight or nine people who can give a talk and similar number who can lead meetings and um, you know if people are ill somebody will pray for them it doesn't have to be uh, me so we don't have overhead so how do you express your faith in terms of what you do with your money you have to think about that and um, you know people do that differently how do you you know up you might be involved in a local food bank for example, uh, that might be the way you express your faith or involved in overseas mission. And we have people involved in all of those things. How, you know, what, what's, what does it look like when, uh, you know, when you're out there sort of in, in the community? So, so we have those hospitality, availability, vulnerability and expression. We sort of explain them to people so that when people join want to join us they know they know what they know the lines we're running along it's not a heavy thing but it's this these are the lines that we're running that we're running along we're not into the last church we led we we had two one point running two youth clubs we were running a, a feeding program for disadvantaged children we had home groups we had alpha groups we had a, a a parent and toddler group and that was with about 45 adults to, you know so I, i'm not sort of opposed to running different ministry things but when people join us they realize that we're not into running things where we will join in with things that other people are running if we want to um, but what we will do what we'll focus on is how do we how do we prepare people? How do we prepare each other to be hospitable, available, vulnerable, and to express our faith? Now, all that sounds, I, I love the church I'm involved in. I love it. My having said it all sounds more ideal than it really is, if you, if you get my meaning. Yeah. You know, it's, it's don't model yourself on what we on what we do um, but it but it is good and it and it sort of works really just it, it just works so you know if people have a decision to make if we have a decision to make we think about well how does that affect you know how available we are to god or how we do with hospitality how does that tie in it makes life simpler mm -hmm. Richard, one of the one of the things that you talked about in the book is, you know, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase and probably not use your words, so please correct these words um, that, you know, whether we call them values or rule of life for any any body, any community, any church, any ministry, whatever it might be, that as we as we um, kind of step into those practices um, or that way that it's really important that we we let God lead that 
and that what you have for your church may look very different for some of those that are listening. So it's not, it's not a matter of taking what you're hearing from somebody else necessarily. It's really, really an understanding of, of letting God unfold it. And, um, and even I can remember, I was really struck when you were describing, you know, the kind of the forming of, of these rules of life to not, not come up with a list and say, this is it, but to actually step into them to, to let, let them kind of emerge as a way that, um, that, that, um, that we want to be as we're being led by God. Again, those aren't your words, but just any, any thoughts on that? I thought that was really, um, in, in some ways, such a simple and su- such simple and profound wisdom, you know, cause we're not necessarily used to letting God birth that within us. So just any thoughts on that? Yeah. If I can, um, use a sort of slightly technical word it doesn't put people off it and that is the word charism so um the the idea that any movement say say the franciscans founded by france saint francis what it, what is the charism of the founder so he saint francis was heard this call from god to rebuild the church and the, the the way he did that was through he created actually the franciscans were a preaching order but they they also were a begging order a mendicant order and they were an order of people who would commit themselves to god and not marry so we got the poverty the chastity and the obedience and that that was his his charism and so in the catholic church all the all the orders uh, all the different movements have been encouraged to re-engage with the charism of the founder so or or perhaps the charism of the movement so in other words how that expresses itself in atlanta in 2021 might be very different than how it would express itself in medieval Italy. But but if you're attracted to being a Franciscan, it's because it resonates with something within you that God's put within you. And so I think every every movement, you know, the what, what you're involved in will have certain features that will resonate with, with some people. So, so we have a movement in the UK, a new monastic movement, very influential, and it's very much based on um, the, the, the idea of the Moravians, if you remember the Moravians at Hearn Hut and the community that gave, gave rise to a huge missionary movement, 24-7 prayer, you know, prayer every day of the week, 300-year-long prayer meeting that birthed one of the biggest sort of missionary movements. Um, So the movement in the UK that's very much inspired by that, they're they're quite missionary in their their approach. And I think the Catholics have been better at this than we have because what they do is they just found a new order, but still within the church. They're not leaving the Catholic church. So, you know, with Benedict, um, his order emphasizes stability, staying in the one place. 
so they commit themselves to one place for life. If you're a Benedictine, you commit yourself to living there for the rest of your life in that one place. And of course, if you're, uh, uh, if, if, if in your heart is the mission of, of Hernhut, you're not going to want to become a Benedictine, <laughs> you know? So I think, I think what we, it's always a mistake to try and find something too generic in terms of a rule of life, because, you know, it, it will have features in common with other places, like it's like to have things like a rhythm of prayer and, you know, the need for uh, some form of spiritual advice and all these sorts of things. But the broad details will look different for different movements. And then because what you have is essentially a dispersed community, the people, you know, somebody living in the middle of Chicago is going to have a different outworking to somebody who lives on a farm in rural Minnesota. But it's the same charism. It's the same anointing of God. It's the same calling of God. But it just looks a bit different and has to be uh, recontextualized, um, which is, uh, is one of the things I look, look at in the book a bit because, I, you know, I'm not thinking of, um, it's, not, it's not one size fits all, really. You know, Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light in me. So it needs to be, needs to, the meaning of which is it fits well. And it needs to, you need to engage with it. You need to feel, yeah, this really fits, you know. There'll probably be one or two things about it somebody won't like, you know. But then you just put up with that, don't you? Because otherwise you just invent the world you want and uh, nobody else will like it. But broadly speaking, it's a case of, of that resonance, isn't it? You know, there's that verse in the Old Testament where, who is it, Jay, who says to somebody, you know, if your heart is right with my heart, give me your hand, you know, and I think that's in a, a, a war context, so perhaps that's not a good <laughs> analogy, but there is that sense, isn't there? If your heart is right with my heart, you know, God's put the same things within us. Let's, let's do it together. Give me your hand. It's beautiful. Thank you for that. And that's one of the reasons I really wanted you to share your values because they were much simpler and there was space in them. When I hear a word like availability, it's, it's, I can be available as long as I have some, some say in how I'm available, you know, that yeah. I can express my faith in the way that God's leading. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's exactly what you said. The yoke is easy. It's not, you know, Jody, express your faith. And this is how you do it, you know, Yeah, how we do it. So hmm. thank you. For and that. I think as well, it, it, it's a case of like, you know, I'll pray and I'll, and I do use some set liturgy and I'll, sometimes I go through it and think, you know, I did that. My mind was completely on something else, but I, I think God <laughs> thinks, look, you know, here he is. He's so distractible. But he's still, he's still, you know, his lips are moving. <laughs> and I think that we need to just not have the very, I think we need to have a quite a low, low standard for ourselves in 
the performance of it. Um, there was um, a story by um, uh, one famous monastic writer of, of this guy who who came to join his order and he was a businessman and he'd been very competitive and he had everything, you know, sports car houses. And he realized he was incredibly competitive. And so he went to join a monastery so that he could somehow um, save himself from just being consumed by all this. So they had the, 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 the fast Lent fast coming up. And so they were all fasting and some of the older monks, just couldn't hack it and they had to eat and somebody got ill and they had to eat. And in the end, the only person who could stick thoroughly to the fast was this highly competitive guy from the business world. And, but of course he realized at the end of it that all he'd been doing was competing with the other monks. <laughs> but it just doesn't, doesn't happen that quickly, does it? You know, it, no. <laughs> it takes a lot of time and, uh, uh, a lot of a lot of God revealing stuff, and probably, you know, a lot of laughing at ourselves. I think really, and um, uh, I mean, our lives, our lives are serious. I don't, I'm not being flippant there, but yeah. you know, somehow our attempts are quite. My attempts are quite laughable. Sometimes, I mean, I I'm probably the only person I know who can pray and answer emails at the same time. <laughs> So, so I do have, I just have to draw, I have to, you know, it's a real discipline for me not to, not to do these things. Um, and you think after all this time, I'd be better at it, but you just, just keep on, you just keep on and, and God turns up, you know, for some reason, best known to him. Amen. Amen. Um. You may have, Richard, already covered this. So. Uh, don't feel as though you need to answer it, but, um, you know, just, and it, may, and it may be related to the book, but, you know, we're, you know how we're, we're in our, in our journey or our walk with God, there are, at times there are um, things that he's revealing that are very moving, um, that, that, um, that it stirs a passion that, you know, is beyond what we would normally experience day to day. And I'm just wondering, is there, is there anything in you in your life right now that, that you might want to share related to that, that you sense that, you know, it might be a, it might be a, um, something that God would, would like for, you know, his, his people to hear. Um, so is, I don't know if there is anything, if there isn't, that's, you know, or if we've already covered it, that's that's fine as well. But just to give you that opportunity. And I won't say a lot about it, but I think the idea of the fact that God has joined together, there's, there's one body. And, you know, obviously there are Christians in name only in all traditions, whether we're looking at, you know, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, Anabaptist. There are there are some some people within those movements who, you know, you, you question their their faith and commitment. It's not not ours to judge, but but there is a huge body of believers. And why do things separately? I don't mean why. You know, it's fine that people have different liturgies, different traditions, but 
if you have a if you have a feeding the hungry program why why not just do it together as groups of churches you know if if you're if you're wanting to to pray uh why not just throw it open to everybody because there's something about the diversity of the body of christ that that means that all the bases are covered when we when we move together and i mean some of your listeners will realize that essentially everything i've been talking about has has been about the stuff we lost at the reformation i mean it's not not that we didn't gain some things because we we did because the spirituality was at such a low ebb and i won't won't get into the doctrinal aspects of it but we lost a lot we jettisoned a lot and we we are rediscovering it we you know we give it these names like new monasticism or uh you know new new movements or new orders or whatever but it's basically somehow it, it it's getting the family back together isn't it mm. it's it's what you know so many catholics now are interested in the bible because of their contact with evangelicals and so many evangelicals are interested in you know lectio divina and contemplative prayer and things like this so yeah that's that's my only plea is let's let's just take some of the barriers down uh, let's learn from one another and walk together thank you that um that is a beautiful plea um strikes me that it might be the very plea of jesus in and through you And as we said at the beginning of this episode, our hope is that this podcast would be for you a time with God. To that end, we have a prayer practice at the end of each of our episodes. For our practice this week, Richard is going to read the lyrics from the song by Godfried Bertel he read earlier in the episode. We're going to play the clip of Richard reading these, and as you feel led, Please spend some time in silence, listening to these words and responding to God with gratitude. Looking for your presence, it's time to seek your face. May the windows of heaven open up today. Let us flow with your rhythm, the spirit of the word. And pick up your burdens. Walk the land and pray. Carrying you, carrying you into the city streets and homes. Carrying you, carrying you, we hear the footsteps of the Lord. Can your heavy glory, can your heavy glory, can your heavy glory, can your heavy glory rest on me?
Thanks for listening to the Thin Space Podcast. We've put links to Richard's website, the retreat center he helps manage, and his book, Cultivating God's Presence, in the show notes to this episode. If you'd like to help support the ongoing work of the Thin Space Podcast, you can do so in one of three ways. First, leave a comment and review for the podcast on your preferred podcast application. Secondly, share the podcast with your network on social media or via email. And third, this podcast is made possible because of generous donors. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible donation, you can do so at cloudwalk.org slash donate. May God's heavy glory rest on you today.